Oh, man, Candace. So we tackled a really heavy question in the last episode. Oh, yeah. To procreate or not to procreate? Uh-huh. Yeah. Something tells me a week later you still have not answered that question for yourself. No, okay. Maybe it took me a little more than a week to figure that out. Um, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but I was really interested in something that you said when we were recording that episode. You You felt that you could raise a child in a way that didn't hurt the planet or at least didn't hurt it in the way that like a typical American does. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna hurt. Yeah, <laughs> it's sure. Gonna hurt. But how can we do it a little bit better, a little bit less, a little bit more conscious was like really a big part of what we were talking about. So yeah, I have one child, she's 12, and we spent an enormous amount of time thinking about the how. Okay, great. Which means you're incredibly qualified to answer the question that we're going to go through this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, we're going back to Elizabeth Monhe. She's from Palmdale, and you'll remember her yes. from the last episode. Personally, I've decided against having kids. I don't want to have kids, and I'm wondering if that really does make a difference um, to our climate. And we hashed that out in the last episode. If you did not hear that, go back and listen to that. Right, exactly. Um, But one of the reasons she gave was the impact that she saw that kids who already exist in this world have in her town. I've seen diapers in parking lots everywhere I go. There's just a lot of trash that gets generated. Um, Streets are packed when people go to drop off their kids at school. So I see all the gas and pollution. Yes, uh, people use resources and families do use more resources than individuals. That's absolutely true. Sure. But yeah, I have some thoughts about how to minimize that damage if people do decide to have children. Awesome. Okay, so let's get into them. This is the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast, your practical, personal guide to protecting the planet. I'm Kaylee Wells, KCRW's climate reporter. And I'm Candace Sickens-Russell, environmental educator and CEO at Friends of the LA River. I can only imagine that this has to be tough. It's tough no matter what, right? Having kids is a lot more work than just doing your thing. And so just like you had to stop and think about how do I want to show up for the planet in this aspect of my life? How do I want to show up for the planet in this aspect of my life? You do the same thing for your kids on their behalf and in your actions and then eventually in their actions. Okay. Okay, sure. That makes sense. So um, Erin Boyle has done some of the same calculus that you have done. Mm -hmm. She is an author. She writes about minimalism and sustainability. And most importantly for this episode, she is a mother of three. (laughs) Uh, Her kids are three, six, and nine years old. God bless her. You know, we shouldn't start by like creating kind of binaries where like if you cloth diaper your kids, you're doing the right thing. And if you are not cloth diapering your kids, you're doing the wrong thing. We all have to make choices based on our own you know, resources and capacity to live in a certain way. I think this is a perfect place where we throw in the disclaimer that we talk to a bunch of different experts mm-hmm. in this field. And it's important that we specify that this isn't like a you're doing it wrong and here's the only way to responsibly no, raise never. a child episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, like parents have different financial resources. That's right. They have different amounts of time that they can use mm-hmm. to devote to this journey that they're on. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're trying to just like get through the J and jarred baby food is the way that you're going to be able to do that. Fine. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, yeah, this is a shame-free zone. Exactly. This is anti-dread and anti-shame what we're doing here. Absolutely. But so having said that, let's still run through some options for people who do have the capacity to make a change and can feel good about it. 
And I feel like we should start with the parents of the youngest children or maybe expecting parents and sort of go through as the child gets older. Absolutely. So, you know, like she mentioned cloth diapers. Yeah. You did that? I did that. (laughs) Was that hard and gross? It was hard and gross, but also I totally, like, I wore the hell out of that cloth diapering service that we had. So (laughs) we said to ourselves we were going to cloth diaper for a little bit. And then once she got old enough, we would, when we were like more secure and not so frazzled, we would start washing them ourselves. Oh my gosh, she was potty trained when we started okay. when we stopped using the service. So we really took advantage of the diaper service. It used to be very What's a affordable. Diaper service, though? So a diaper service is a, a company that will bring you cloth diapers to your front door. Okay. Leave them there nice and clean. They're beautiful. They're pristine. They look like they've never been used before. You use them and put them into a container that they give you without doing anything to them. This is the important part. I did not rinse. I did not scrub. I did not wash. I I just put them into the container. And then once a week, you take the bag out to the porch and the magic fairy man comes and (laughs) takes it away and leaves you a bag of fresh, clean diapers. And so you can see how it was hard to give that up. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. So we continued cloth diapering forever. (laughs) Okay. What about when it comes to um, feeding your small person? So breastfeeding is wonderful. Not everybody can do it immediately. It took me 10 very crying, cry-filled, tear-filled days to get it right. Okay. Um, And to get it, just to get it to work for me and to work for her. But it's a beautiful thing because it's free and it's on demand and it's already warm and it's there and it's ready. (laughs) Um, And then when it came to feeding her when she got a little bit bigger... I would spend Sunday afternoons like making baby food. Like we would get this delivery box, this vegetable delivery box, and I'd chop that up. I would steam it in this fantastic baby food steamer thing that my aunt was so generous to give us, but you can do it in anything. And then I would like make it into baby food and put it into these little containers. And when it was time to feed her, I could pull a container out of the fridge and feed her that. So it didn't cost me anymore because it was the vegetables we were already getting. Wow, that's really cool. Okay, that makes sense. Um... And then other question of of clothes, and maybe this is more of an expectant parent question, but Mm -hmm. I know there's maternity clothes that are out there and they fit for like two months. You could do a maternity fashion show. You could totally (laughs) go all in and like it. And I did not have to go to like a business office every day and like be super presentable. I don't know what that's like. And I totally, you know hope that people who have that situation will go and get the clothes that they need. But I had this little band that made my jeans a little bit whiter, and I wore that the whole time. Like you would unbutton it? Yeah, and then the little band would kind of of be like part button, part loop, Uh and it would like just kind of expand the jeans. I wore that the whole time. And then I got a couple of tops. I think I bought like three or four tops that I wanted and needed. And then I borrowed dresses from friends who had been, you know, had been pregnant before. So I think that... A big part of this reason why it can work in like an eco-conscious way is your community. I had this amazing community of other moms and friends who were having kids around the same time. And we pooled those resources. For example, our friend Steph and Donna gave us a, I think they were eight bags of big, like big hefty trash bags Mm -hmm. full of clothes that they were not going to use. I think my daughter was three before we bought clothes like it was you didn't buy a single thing of clothes because their daughter was that age and so we Mm -hmm. got all these things and what's funny is my brother's friends with them too so my niece had worn some of those clothes and then their daughter wore them now my daughter's wearing them and now my friend her daughter's wearing those clothes and you know if you are maybe the first in your community to Mm -hmm. have a kid Mm -hmm. or maybe you don't have a community that has a bunch of kids in them at least as a non-parent i use my local buy nothing chapter the other day i had a my 
dog had an accident on the rug. And so I said, does anyone have a carpet cleaner? And mm-hmm. I had an answer within two hours. And Love I'm borrowing it. a carpet cleaner later today. I see. I see plenty of parents in my buy nothing group who yes. are saying, well, here's this toy that was useful when my kid that's was 18 right. months old. And now they're two and a half. And that's boring. And I think we started to get into another lesson here that doesn't just apply to infants. But, you know, as they start to age into mm-hmm. toddlers and young kids. Boyle says we can kind of rethink this consumption mindset. So whether it's not having a traditional baby shower, not having a baby registry, looking, you know, when I had my third child, I made a really concerted effort to not buy anything new. If you can do that, I think that's so helpful. Boyle also made this interesting point to me about being thoughtful about the kind of toys she gets Mm. her kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, her six and nine year old, for example, they play with the same wooden blocks that they had when they were babies, Mm -hmm. but they just they play with them differently. You know, maybe they're building they're building fabulous castles now in ways that they probably weren't when they were one year old. This idea of buying toys that continue to be relevant Mm -hmm. as your kid develops and needs to be stimulated in different ways. We call those open toys. Oh, (laughs) I've never heard that word. Toys that grow with your child and that change in the way in which they're playing. Especially if they're high quality, they're not made of plastic and designed to fall apart so you can buy another one in six months. And so we're big on the wooden toys. We're big Uh on the imaginative toys. We're big on the things that are open and can be used in more than one way. But we also did this thing that I thought I invented, but now I've met so many moms who do this. It's this rotation thing. Mm -hmm. So she has a little, well, she still has some Cornell birds, like birds from University of Cornell that make the sounds and she loved those birds. She has a collection of them. And then she had those and she had some other things, some other things, and it just got to be like very quickly too much stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I said, what if we rotated this out? And so in spring, the birds would come out. And in the winter, then these other things would come out. Like the then the fall, it was like the woodland creatures. You have these little woodland creature puppets. Okay. So that way, we're able to not buy as many toys. You're not constantly buying toys. And you're bringing toys in that feel and look new to them when uh-huh. they're small. Yeah. So it's like a, a way to kind of cut down on that consumption as well. Oh, that's way cool. That makes sense. And, you know, then, of course, as your kids are getting older... Having climate-friendly kids also means raising them to become more Mm, mm climate-friendly adults, which Mm -hmm. means, you know, teaching them habits and ways of living and being that they'll adopt and carry with them after they're done living in your home. (laughs) Um, Boyle says she found that that does get harder, though, once kids are in school and they're exposed to other ways of life. I had my six-year-old a few weeks ago say, like, I don't, I forget exactly what the phrase was that he used, but he essentially was, you know, expressing frustration that he did not have the kinds of, like, plastic toys that his classmates have. I just try to have frank conversations, like, you know, we've made a choice in our family not to do that. Other families don't make that choice. It doesn't make them bad, but these are the reasons I don't like plastic and I don't really want you playing with it. She also told this um, story of when she was sort of a a newer mother and was learning how to have these conversations. <laughs> so when her oldest was two, um, I guess she had had a conversation with them about not using plastic and not using plastic straws. And they were like out to dinner and the kid turned around to the people in the booth behind them and were admonishing them for using plastic straws. (laughs) Well, mm -hmm. (laughs) So she was a little like, okay, well, maybe there are better and worse ways to um, introduce these ideas to your children. I mean, that's the fun side effect of teaching our children our values is they will not hesitate to teach other people your values. (laughs) 
But that's, I find there's so many people who are doing good things for the planet. They're riding their bike to work or they're doing this or they're doing that, but they're just doing it. They're not talking to their kids about it. They're not saying, this is why mama is doing this, or this is why your this parent does that. They are just kind of in auto mode. Some of us have been doing some of these things forever, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you can take a step back and share with your child why you're doing the things that you're doing and that it's part of a value system. It's not just a default thing that you just decided to do. That can become a really fantastic thing. And that can become a a part of their lives in a more meaningful way. Okay, then how do you lead by example with something like... um diet because when i was a kid i was really picky and it was like it was like hot dogs chicken fingers and fries like those were the things i could eat and yes. so how did you you've told me that eden is like totally will eat from the garden will yeah, eat vegetables totally. how i never did got you, a blueberry she ate them all off the bush how, well how did you make her into a person that likes to eat plants uh, there's nothing you can do about that so this is something people don't tell you They're, your kids come here the way they come here okay there's nothing you can do about temperament they just come here so she came with the temperament of like oh what's this i want to try it but i think when you're talking about food and the planet you're talking about these decisions to eat a little bit lower on the food chain right and i have found that not just my kid but other children like naturally kind of do that. You ask them what they want on their pizza, they want cheese. They don't want pepperoni. Mm. You ask them what they want on their burrito, they want a bean and cheese burrito. This is how she was. Like, she just kind of, whenever she was given a choice, defaulted. I say, what do you want in your pho? We're going to order pho. She's like, oh, vegetarian. That just is how her brain worked. Uh So it was really easy for our family to go 90% veggie. Wow, that's way cool. We covered a lot of ground here, and (laughs) let's try and wrap them up into some takeaways for Elizabeth. Okay. So, Elizabeth, I know you have decided not to have children, and that's great. That is a zero impact. That's winning for sure. Um, But if other people out there are thinking about this and want to be parents or already are parents, there are plenty of ways to do that in a climate-friendly way, too. So I basically think of this in three buckets. There are ways to produce less, make less waste, this whole consumption idea. That's cloth diapering, what kind of toys you buy, building a community where you can share things and borrow and give and, and all of that. So that's bucket one. And bucket two is like food consumption. What are we feeding ourselves? How are we feeding our kids? That's always going to come up when you're talking about climate. It's inescapable. The food we eat impacts the climate. Okay. And then, of course, number three, third bucket, raise climate conscious kids to become Mm -hmm. climate conscious adults. So many parents are already recycling and composting. But like you said, they're along for the ride and the kids aren't being shown that these are intentional actions based on values. So think about why you're doing what you're doing and convey that to your kids. All right. What's the good news this week? Well, I've got some (laughs) damn good news for you. (laughs) It's about the largest dam removal project in history, and it's happening right now. Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, come on. Dam? No, No, I like it. I like it. Go ahead. So the Klamath River is this huge river, and it flows through the California-Oregon border. It's actually the third largest river system on the West Coast. Mm. Um, And it had four dams that were mainly used to generate hydroelectric power. But the problem with them was that they would block the path for the salmon to swim up to their spawning areas. So you had a big salmon die off in the population, which obviously made some people pretty mad, including um, people from the indigenous tribes like the Yurok and the Karuk tribes. And so they've been fighting to protect this river's ecosystem for decades, more than 20 years Mm. 
But then finally, back in June, we had companies and nonprofits who started tearing the dams down because, I mean, frankly, the dams weren't super useful anymore. And they've already torn down the smallest dam and they plan to remove the other three. And already there are 400 miles of salmon habitat that have reopened. And workers have found nearly a billion native seeds that can be replanted once the reservoirs are drained. So the efforts of the Yurok and the Karuk tribes really made a difference. And soon we're going to see if nature is really going to heal. That's really amazing. That's fantastic news. That's it this week on the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast. If you haven't, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. We've got a newsletter that will have our advice every week. To get that in your inbox or to ask us a question, go to kcrw.com slash climate. Next week, we'll talk about plastics and how you can have a bigger impact than just changing your own single-use plastic habits. With all this plastic production out there, how do we control it? How does legislation happen? What kind of legislation is already out there to help work on this plastic pollution problem. I'm Candace Hickens-Russell, environmental educator and CEO at Friends of the LA River. I'm Kaylee Wells, climate reporter at KCRW. Our executive producer is Sonia Geis. Our production assistant is Celine Mendiola. Technical director is John Meek. Music by Carolyn Pitty-Packer-Riggs. The Anti-Dread Climate Podcast is a KCRW production. KCRW.